welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Hello and welcome to episode nine of TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where I'll be talking to testing superstars about random TestSphere cards. Tonight, I'm joined by two more superstars who need no introduction, but I'll give them an introduction anyway. Beth, over to you. Hey, um, my name is Beth Marshall. I, as of yesterday, am um, a newly minted ADA uh, senior quality engineer. And uh, prior to that, I've spent the last couple of months uh, working as a uh, QA relations, trying my trying my hand at that. Uh, an amazing company called uh, Mailinator, who help with uh, testing emails and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I've been testing for 15 years, and um, thank you for having me on the podcast. All right. Pleasure. Thank you, Beth. Um, the third Ada Health person we've had on the podcast. Um, so uh, you've got, got standards to live up to, I guess. Um, no speaking of standards, um, I feel like I'm being assessed tonight because one of the MOT bosses is here. Uh, Mark, over to you. I'll give you a 7 out of 10 for that introduction. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, Thanks. Good. That's yeah. better, than well us- better than usual. <laughs> Yeah, so it's better than the four out of ten that I tend to do. Um, uh, yes, for those who don't know me, I'm Mark, the Ops Boss at Ministry of Testing. And um, yeah, I basically help day-to-day stuff at Ministry of Testing. Um, moving further and further away from actually doing any testing, but I still kind of see myself as a tester um, in my day-to-day. Yeah. Good. Well... Let's let's talk some testing. Maybe that can make you feel more of a tester. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. All right. So just uh, talk you through the process, then I will spin the wheel and then we will talk through a card until the conversation dries up. And then we'll we'll move we'll spin the wheel again and, and talk again. We'll probably do three cards unless unless we have time for more. And then then we'll wrap up and give you both chance to plug anything you want to plug. All right. So let's spin the wheel. And I have the first card. Anger. Oh. It's a feelings. Negative feelings. <laughs> Many things can get you worked up. Anger is irrational, can make you indifferent, and can motivate you to improve. People can get highly emotional if they are working in long-running projects that they are heavily invested in. What methods do you have to let off steam? Well, I think we could spend a whole episode talking about this one, couldn't we? I think you probably might do. What an opening topic. Wowzers. Yeah, no, normally I pay someone about 40 quid a, an hour to talk about that topic. <laughs> well, there you go. Free therapy session. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm, well, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that springs to mind for you, Beth. I've certainly got some stories to tell. Go. You go ahead. I'll chip in after. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a couple of things that sort of pop to mind is... Um, uh yeah i worked on a project once where um tensions were quite high it was um sort of i think it was probably it was when i was a contractor it was the longest contract i worked on and by the end of it it was a pretty 
toxic environment. There was a lot of actual sort of, you know, shouting red faces and stuff. Um, you know, official complaints going in with people and stuff. It was, yeah, it was, it was hard work. And um, I didn't realize actually, so it's more, more of a cautionary tale of like, I didn't realize actually the kind of effect it was having on me until I sort of kind of stepped away from it and went and worked on something that was the complete opposite. So I think there's um, sometimes it's difficult with things like, like with anger and with stress and stuff like that. I think sometimes it's difficult to recognize that it's happening. I think sometimes you have to take that step back to realize it's like, Oh, hang on. This is actually quite overwhelming and it's, it's making, making things difficult in terms of what I'm doing and stuff and bringing it back to testability or testing. Um, but thinking about testability, if you're in that mindset, if you're in that sort of kind of fight or flight mindset, it's absolutely going to impact your testing. It's going to be hard to focus. If you're worried about anything that you're doing is going to be second guessed and stuff. Or if you end up getting shouted at because you've put tabs into your pull request rather than spaces <laughs> genuinely happened. <laughs> Disgraceful. Yeah, I think um, anger is an in- an interesting emotion that, uh, do I want to go so far as to say it shouldn't really be in the workplace? If I ever experience it, um, it's an enormous red flag to, to me. Um, and I'm, I think, you know, psychological safety has become such an, such a kind of talked about thing over the last few years and and you know all of us have, have been in the testing world for quite a long time when that wasn't such a big thing and back when anger was sometimes um I don't want to say encouraged but it was often tolerated much more so than it is now um you know when I've been in um, many many an environment with people that have just you know it's often often things that are not work related that cause someone to be angry I remember being, um, I was working for a consultancy. It was a hard time, but someone had just had twins. um, And understandably, uh, he got a bit angry one day and he got really mad and cross. and, um, And he never raised his voice before or since. And I think sometimes, you know, you've got to kind of try and look at people's the lives behind their professional lives and think what else is maybe going on here and, and a bit of yeah. empathy and sympathy goes a long way rather than the instant you're doing this because you're a terrible person not really um but but equally working in an environment with people that are routinely angry um mm. is yeah. it's so it's just it's just toxic for everybody isn't it it just filters through and it's um it, it's not nice i remember um going to an interview once in in New York, weirdly on my honeymoon, because that was the only time I was happened to be in the States. And uh, we shared the building with, it was this huge skyscraper overlooking Manhattan, super, super swanky corporate, not my thing really, but um, it was on the 40th floor of of some enormous building. And uh, I remember being sat there waiting nervously to, to have this interview, feeling ridiculously out of my depth. And I could see in the uh, shared kind of office space, it was it was another company, it wasn't mine. 
Um, but this guy was there and he was on the phone to someone. How dare you say that to me? I don't, you, you know how much money that's cost me. And just going absolutely berserk. And I thought, you don't even work for my company and I wouldn't work here because that mm. is just, yeah. that is so, mm. I mean, I can remember that was 10 years ago and I can still remember that. So I think it's, um, it's never an effective strategy anger uh, yeah. would be my two penneth on that one no i i, I would agree and I, th- I, th- I think i've i've certainly had different scenarios where it's either it's been you know my boss has been that person that's quite fiery um that i wasn't aware of before i joined the role and it wasn't until i first experienced the outbursts and the lang and the the swearing and the over the smallest of things like a template not being used correctly in for a test plan or or, or something mm-hmm. like that or you know not picking up grammatical grammatical errors because if we're QA we should spot everything and it, it you know little things like that through it and it just made the whole place everyone was on eggshells because they were waiting for the next outburst um, and then I also worked with a developer at one point. And actually, this is one of the other scenarios on the card, which I'll, I'll read out before I do it. You and a programmer are at each other's throats over every point of discussion, every bug and feature that gets rejected. And I was working with this developer that every time I raised a bug, he would scream at his computer and turn around at me and just give me this this proper evil look as if to say, how dare you find issues in my code? You know, my code's perfect. It wasn't until I started to sort of get to know this guy that that was just his initial outburst and he was known for his his fiery outbursts. But I found a way to talk him around each time and eventually the outburst calmed down. It wasn't so much uh, screaming at me. It was more of a just calling me a jerk or whatever else. So you found found something. Um, And eventually it got to a point where we were working together on stuff, but it took six months to a year of me having to deal with every single emotional outburst every time I found something. And, you know, I was finding a lot of bugs. <laughs> so his code <laughs> definitely wasn't perfect. But, you know, it was one of those things where I took that as a challenge that I'm going to have to get through this. I'm going to try and help solve this problem for people, not just for me, but for other people that have to work with him um, and get him to a point where we're not the bad guys. We're not the ones finding the issues. Let's work together and make it a a more select, selective, se- successful solution. Um, and do you, yeah. do you think this is something that um, is more prevalent um, an experience that, that testers have to go through, maybe working with developers who haven't been used to having um, testers or perhaps more modern testers where you're part of an engineering team and you're, you're kind of delivering quality together and they've maybe come from a more adversarial kind of um, environment do you think that's something that affects testers more than perhaps other people in tech? I think, I think historically, I think that's definitely been the case. Um, but I think things are changing. Hopefully, Mark, you were going to say something. I was going to say it's it's difficult because I, I think so. But I think you know, adding a bit of sort of empathy and sort of addressing that other point on the card, which is like, how do you how do you de-stress? How do you disconnect from from the anger? Or like, how do you try and understand it? And we kind of talked about it, like that sort of idea of empathy. I found like, although, as I say, recognise myself as a tester, that's my professional experience has been in that I do develop. And I've, I'll never say I, I am a developer because I've never been 
paid for it and rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but as you know, like, uh, like I've created a bunch of different tools and stuff. There's lots of like little APIs I've created that have been deployed out into like the, uh, on the cloud that people can use and things like that. So I have built things and, you know, it's a creative process building something um, regardless whatever it is, you know, it's, you can't help but feel your pride slighted, even like, even as someone who's a tester developing something, when someone finds a bug, it just can't help it. It's, it's you, you've, it's so easy to sort of kind of end up in a certain lane in a certain process. So I think there's an element of that as well is, is, you know, as testers, we are in a role that comes with a certain level of criticism and it's what you project onto that criticism. Um, I think that that's something that we, we have to be mindful and something we have to address. But then equally on the other side uh, is seeing people who have bouts of anger and start shouting and stuff is the thing I'm always curious about is, is there sort of contrition afterwards? Like, mm. you know, I think people are subject to outbursts. I know I am. I've got two kids under four. Like I can't help it sometimes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they push and they push. And, but I feel, I feel terrible afterwards. Yeah. So it's important to me that I apologize and I acknowledge what I'm doing and you know there's a whole parental thing about that but also like when working with people if you see people who are like under pressure who are stressed who do lash out but if they're actually making that effort to make amends afterwards I think that definitely changes the dynamic versus someone who just is is always on is always angry or refuses to sort of understand like but I, like I am justified in my anger I don't mm. need to change my outlook I don't need mm. to collaborate yeah. or cooperate yeah i would agree and i wonder as well if it's if it's one of those things that that working from home is one of the unexpected uh one of the many many unexpected positives is that if you are someone who is prone to angry outbursts you can take that outside of the meeting can't you you can just walk outside and no one has to be privy to that um, in much the same way that I've discovered working from home that I often like chunter to myself, chunter, I suppose that's a northern word, but I'll I'll kind of mumble along to myself and I sometimes catch myself thinking, God, I'd be a nightmare if you were sat next to me, but no one has to worry because it's my space. Um, and I worry, I, I wonder if anger is kind of the same way. It's easier because it, everyone's remote now. You don't have to share your environment with um, that kind of angry energy and it's maybe easier for people to go for a walk and you know yeah. get something out of their system a bit maybe or just it's something i go, go on go on yeah it's something i've recently learned about disconnecting so if i'm in a situation where something is frustrating that could lead to anger i think it's sometimes it's better to just sort of disconnect take a step away reflect um so you know like just being open and honest, I uh, made a bit of a mistake a couple of weeks back in which I should have been around for a meetup uh, that was running. Um, and I wasn't because I was under the assumption that I didn't need to be there. And when I first found out, I was quite upset and ashamed about it and stuff. And I got quite angry. But fortunately, because I found out while I was in the supermarket, I had a 10 minute drive home. And within that 10 minutes, I could reflect and go, look, 
you've messed up, you need to apologize. And I think there's another aspect to this as well is, is that with anger, it tends to be, that's the kind of tip of the iceberg. So that, that, you know, it's a signal to sort of understand, well, what's going on? Like we need to dig a little deeper. And that's where I think the psychological safety comes in, is being able to do that in a way that it doesn't just go back up into anger. Yeah, yeah. Um, which able- unfortunately, not everyone has that opportunity. No, that is true. That is definitely true. All right. Um, anything else to oh, add to our therapy session? Yeah. Go on, Mark. <laughs> uh, I also heard that it leads to the dark side as well. I've been uh, reasonably informed by a small green man that lives in my garden. Excellent. <laughs> on that bombshell, <laughs> let's, um, let's move on to card number two, shall we? Um, so I'm going to spin the wheel again. And it's stopped on a patterns card. Ikea effect. When someone gives more value to something they've built over something they haven't, a programmer could hold his own code in a much higher regard and think of it as better quality than it really is. I think this kind of links quite well to what we've just been talking about. What a segue. Beautiful. An automator might assume that his automation is correct when actually it's flawed. Oh, yes. Yeah, very much that. Richard and I talk about the uh, the illusion of green. So, you know, all your automated checks are green. You're like, ah, oh, on, the, on the bee's knees, on the best automator in the world, and then the application gets out and it falls over. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely, definitely one I see as well. Anything come to mind, Beth? Well... I think it's kind of human nature in a way. There's 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 a reason why I guess a fresh pair of eyes is needed every now and then and, and why it's great to kind of peer and mob. Um because yeah, you you can very easily fall into fall into that kind of self-deluded trap. And, it, and with that, I think comes a feeling that it's okay to cut corners. Mm. Um and that it's perhaps okay. I know what this test script says. I've done this test loads. So I don't need to worry about that. I'm, I'm, you know, whatever. And then a new tester will join and they'll run the script from scratch or they'll do some exploratory testing from scratch and they'll find things that you just have been so blinkered by. Um, I think that uh, sort of happens to us happens to us all. And it's it's certainly true that, I mean, there's different opinions on this, but I think one of the reasons why testers and testing is so successful is because it means that the person writing the code isn't marking their own homework um and i I think that can be um a a sort of trap that people fall into that that they just don't they just don't see what's wrong with it and they don't feel the need to analyze it enough and I, i feel the same sometime when i've when i've completed something I just want to move on to the next thing. I don't want to be reminded about uh, finessing the thing that I've done endlessly. It's why I'd be a terrible artist um, because I just want to move on to the next thing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I certainly feel there's a bit of human nature in that. And I'd be curious to know if you, you two have got any strategies for kind of combating that that you'd advocate for. Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
think, I think, unfortunately, it is human nature, isn't it? It's uh, the IKEA effect is one of those cognitive biases. It I was, is. I was, thinking, it's, I was thinking like how it could be that it's almost like a gateway bias as well, because once you fall into that sort of IKEA effect, then things like um, confirmation bias and cost fallacy start kicking in as well. You start looking for the reasons to support um, to support your beliefs and stuff, and it's the the initial work that you've done. So I think it's yeah, you just have to be mindful of those biases. I think the fact maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit, Beth, that I think if you are aware of it, I think you are probably combating it, but you're just mm. doing it on a yeah. maybe not on a uh, cogn- uh, conscious level. Maybe it's more that sort of kind of internal second guessing, which can sometimes not be great <laughs> for your mental health. <laughs> well, I think I think that's something. Well, as you said as well, that pairing or like you say, just getting someone else to sit down with you while you walk through it. You know, you've you finished the automation or whatever, and actually get someone to sit with you and just just explain it to somebody else. Rubber ducking, even even if it's not a person, just having a a plastic duck or or whatever you want on your desk to talk to. Sometimes that can be enough to make you realise, oh, actually, I've I've missed something there, and actually, it's not perfect, and and yeah, I need to need to correct it. Um, but I was just thinking a, a story actually of, of 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 said developer that I mentioned earlier. Uh, when we came to replace a piece of code with a new, we'd actually bought a, I think it was a SaaS off, SaaS off the shelf product to plug in and do the functionality that a piece of code was already doing, but it wasn't doing it very well. He absolutely lost it because his code worked perfectly. Why would we want to change his code? Not the fact that it was like a completely different stack and completely different technology and, 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 but did the same thing, but just very old fashioned in the way it was done. I think it was written in Perl, you know, and we were exchanging it for, yeah, it just a completely different solution, but it did the, did the job. And mm. there was that whole, you know, why my code works, why would we change it? Yeah, definitely, definitely seen that happen in the past as well. I think sometimes though, the, the kind of opposite effect to that Ikea pattern can be seen like I sometimes need a second pair of eyes to tell me to stop mm. to tell me that when I've done enough and when you know to when to call it a day because otherwise you just can get so in the weeds with things and so meticulous with stuff <clears throat> that you don't draw yourself out of it and sometimes it's really nice I remember for the um uh ministry of testing uh test.bash I did some pairing with Viv Richards and one of the one of the many lessons I learned from that is that he said that that's enough, and it was enough. And, it, and sometimes, you know, the opposite is true. It's not when you're not doing enough; it's when you're doing too much that you maybe need to get a second pair of eyes on things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's I a, totally agree. There's another thing as well, like if I can fly the Ministry of Testing flag a little bit, is that you can work in a positive way, the IKEA effect as well. And it's something that we bear in mind uh, when we put together the events that we do. Uh, It's the reason why we sort of seek feedback from the community and try and get as much engagement from the community is is that um, I think it's one of the core drivers of making a strong community is if we all feel invested in it, we all feel uh, proud of it then that's gonna make us want to do more like we're we're all kind of involved in lots of different things uh, both with the ministry of testing and in, in, our, in our own uh, 
sort of personal spheres as well. You know, we don't do it necessarily for the glory or for the money. You know, we do it because we're invested in it, we're passionate in it and stuff. So I think that it can be, you can think about it from the negative perspective, but I think as well, it can be a powerful force for good. Um, But yes, it's still worth having some other perspective come in so you can come up for air, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's um, it's a useful it's a useful skill to be aware of it mm. and know know how to manage it in in certain situations when it's good to allow it to to flow and 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 and, and grow and, and other times when actually you know you need to you know give yourself a slap and say no actually this is yeah it's not the case. Cool. Any final comments on that one? I like doing IKEA flat packs. That can't be true. That cannot be true. I absolutely adore it. Adore it to the point where a friend of mine is going to be building a bed soon. I I don't know if he's done it or not, but I offered my help because um, I just love it. I absolutely adore it. I don't know why. It's just I I love the procedure of it. I have a new desk arriving soon, so if I need some help, if you're willing to keep that desk collapsed till Test Bash X butts, then I'll be there to, to do the work. Nice little plug there as well. Well done. Oh yeah, yeah. Stealth, stealth, silky. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to the third and final card. Then um, I'll spin the wheel again. And it's a techniques card. Risk analysis. Uh, Product level. What is important to the customer, business, and the project? What needs your utmost attention? If you say your report's accurate, they should be as accurate as possible. If you guarantee an SLA of no more than one hour downtime, you need to stick to that and realize that there are no there are or realize that there are consequences. Thoughts? Well, as someone who's a newly minted Ada person, um, I'm curious to hear what you're going to share. No pressure, man. Given that, like, what I would probably say is is very much sort of informed by Dan Ashby's sort of kind of stuff on it and conversations we've had in the past. Is that part of your induction? You have to learn or you have to recite all Dan's Dan's material? The mantra, yeah. yeah I've actually yeah. got it in front of me on the wall. You just can't see it. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, because it's yeah, all visual models, you have to draw it all. It's 10 models, not 10 commandments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, risk, is, risk is the cornerstone of, of testing, isn't it? Any kind of mm. pragmatic tester understands the value of risk and, um, you know, the role that that plays in, in quality. It's, I've, I've never met a tester that's got 100% of everything that they've wanted um, and been able to confidently say that they've managed every single risk. That's not what, what testing is. But um, I certainly think that a risk, risk evaluation was the title of this card. Or risk risk analysis. Risk analysis, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that is. Um, I'm I'm lost. Sorry, 
Go on, Mark. I feel, feel bad out. putting you on the spot there. <laughs> no, I, I, it's an interesting card, actually, because um, is it sort of, yeah, talking about the kind of the mindset or, or like, do you say it was a techniques card? Yeah. Yeah, so it's probably more about how we do the risk analysis. Yeah. Like, how do we get that information? But I, I absolutely agree with you, Beth. Like, I'm the same as well. Like, the phrase I like to use is quality and risk are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to know about both. We can't we don't know about quality um it's hard to focus on what risks we care about and actually yeah. be targeted and effective with our testing but yeah. if we don't know anything about risk but we know about quality then you know we're kind of flying a little bit blind and we'll find out soon enough once we mm. release something that's it it's, it's super contextual too i think um risk is to risk to whom um you know yeah. we we definitely it, I think part of assessing, part of assessing risk is thinking about the the value to end customers certainly, but there's a pragmatism there involved in um, what's the consequence if this goes wrong, perhaps to business reputation or yeah. um, for other state stakeholders not getting the maybe legal things that they need in in time, um, managing those things and making a call on the the where to focus your testing best to manage that risk is a is a real craft there's a real mm. skill to it yeah yeah i would agree i mean i think what i've learned as well recent in recent times is as you get more senior in the sort of the management space with what i'm finding is there's less focus on quality and it's more focus on the risk and the conversation switches from you know how can we make sure this is of the right quality to, for our customers to what is the risk of us not doing this for the customer or what is the risk of it happening to the customer or you know if we don't test these features what's the risk we're left with what's the uh, you know the, the risk we're carrying into live and it's just framing it differently but it's like you say mark that they are two sides of the same coin and it's it's working out how best to analyze that and and assess that mm. early on and there's various techniques that you almost a sort of risk storming is one of those where you can you can use the cards and try and work out where the risk areas are and try and aim for a risk-based testing approach um, in some form by focusing on the areas where there's the most risk. But then, how do you determine the areas where the most risk is? It's uh, mm. yeah, there's lots of lots of ways to do it. I don't think there's one set way that works. I think there's no. Yeah. I, I'm I'm. I'm kind of late to the party, but I've been very much in, uh, inspired by kind of the lean move- movement. Mm-hmm. And I've heard about lean being part of testing for a, for, for a while, but I never really understood it until I've, like, I've been part of my ops role has been trying to sort of get more into more of this lean mindset, into more of the experimental mindset. And that means, you know, understanding what our community wants and setting up experiments and presenting them um, <clears throat> in different different ways. Sometimes we're asking things, sometimes we're just doing something and seeing what happens, that sort of stuff. And I think that's like when it comes to the analysis stuff, it's uh, whether you're doing something like A-B testing, for example, which could give you some sort of indication towards like whether, you know, I, I, I deem this iteration a higher quality than the other and then you extrapolate from there versus just having a conversation. I do think that that mindset of, you know, and that's one of the linchpins of Agile as well is, is that if you can get things in front of people and get them to give you a sense of what they view as, as, as good quality or bad quality, um, it's from there you can kind of launch your um, 
some of your testing from it. It's tricky because uh, a lot of the testing we do, we are kind of making assumptions in, in that sort of space. And, you know, any of the things that we, any any bugs that we found, like, can we truly say well, that, has, that that was valuable, that was, that was worthwhile, um, like, empirically? And I think that that is quite tricky at times to do. And I think it's interesting, like, because the, the one way I think that, that can work is like the SLA route. Um, and if I may be so bold and refer to my book that I'm writing, um, one of the chapters Lovely I was writing stuff. on was... Oh, it's just silky smooth segues tonight. Um, but uh, like learning about testing in production and SLAs and SLOs and how they all work as well and using monitoring, you know, that's that's truly, you know, live feedback, live mm. experimentation. You, you can ex- extrapolate a lot of... Um, quality mindset from that as well you know you release a feature and if it doesn't work you know it's going to be quite low quality but it's more the subtle things you know if we change the layout of a form and we start saying like oh you know there's less transactions going through because people are getting more struggling more time on pages are increasing and stuff and that's where sometimes those slas are useful because either they come from a legal sort of standpoint but more from our hypotheses that we have about quality you know, and and that sort of thing as well. So, um, yeah, I think conversations with people is valuable, um, but also like that metric analysis as well can be can be really useful. Mm. I think it it's interesting. Um, I'll do a little plugity plug myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've been uh, helping to teach a software testing kind of. A small course slash bootcamp um, for an awesome company called the Coders Guild, and one of the things that that um, we're teaching we're teaching people who haven't been in tech before predominantly, and when they hear about testing, one of the one of the first things that they think is it's just it's just about finding bugs when you've got something in front of you to test. Um, and, and part of what we do is really try and emphasize that, call it shift left, call it static testing, call it whatever you like. But, you know, the more proficient and understanding you have about a particular product, um, the earlier you can jump in to help um, analyze that risk. And hopefully you can do that at the very, very earliest stages if all your team are in a, um, you know, a three amigos or similar kind of session and you really can add a lot of a lot of value by coming with your risk or your quality hat on to those meetings and and asking some some probing questions um it isn't just about running the scripts or um doing that doing that stuff Mm -hmm. and equally that that whole thing about testing in production and, and getting that feedback and looping through with your users it's so important um and I think it's there's there's a bit of education there um, to show people that our um, testers, if we are making a tester, if we are making a tester, it's important that they know about testing all across. I, I mean, yeah. So you talk, talk to me about making a tester. You've got two smooth operators on your podcast. Hey. Wow. wow. <laughs> I'm not going to need you to plug things at the end. You're plugging it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, it comes down to the fact that risk is a way that we can show our skills earlier in projects, in programs, et cetera, et cetera, and not just be left to the test phase at the end where we run some tests by by being involved earlier in, and being involved in discussions about risk. Or even like you say, Beth, coming to the table with risk as a discussion point for certain things can really move things in the right direction and, and, and improve the quality overall. It's a powerful tool for justification as well. Like if you, if you are tying it to risk rather than like my early days of being an automator, I, I admit I was guilty of like, oh, we need to do end-to-end testing. Silly. Why? Uh, tools. <laughs> cool and stuff you know and i think people do sometimes fall into that trap whereas if if you're actually coming from a risk perspective of i think we should try this technique i think that we need to implement this plan why because these are the risks that we're concerned with um then i think that can yeah it could be a powerful way to sort of convince people equally though i think we have to accept as testers though if people go well i'm willing to accept that risk we have to at some point take our foot off the gas. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, also make it clear, say, well, fine, if we're accepting this risk, we all accept this as a risk. Yeah. But it, I think it takes that sort of the, the, the personal feelings out of it because it's more about the sort of... And and that's, yeah, a, that's a really, really powerful point, actually, about the, you know, if the business accept the risk. Uh, I've I've been on projects where we've literally gone... You know, if you want to go live early, you're going to have to accept this mountain of risk, and and we we're all really pent up about it because we like we don't want to release because of all this risk. And they just go, okay, fine, and mm-hmm. suddenly completely destroys that pent up frustration, anger. Like, well, the business are willing to accept the risk. Oh well, it's on their head yeah. if it goes live and it falls over. Then it's not on us. Yeah. And as long as you get that yeah. sort of documented or or you know written down that when when it does fall over, you're not got the fingers pointing at you because you didn't test it. Then you know. Mm-hmm. Jobs are good. Oh, yeah, that's, that that winds me up. Like, like when people say, "Did you like like Did you test for this this bug?" It's like, "Yeah, I did," and then I just left it there because I thought, you know, <laughs> yeah. I thought my professional career just wasn't worth it for the sake of this UI screwing up or something. Like, just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you guys, but the, the first time i read a big news story about some app falling over or some really silly bug that people are people are talking about and it's a real public thing i just all i think is i bet they found that i bet they found that and they just decided to go alive with it anyway um Mm, i have so much empathy for (laughs) for testers working on some of this stuff because it's not it's not easy having those conversations and you're right being able to be objective sometimes um gets better results certainly what's what's the phrase about flies and vinegar and honey catch more flies with honey than vinegar am i have i made that up there's something about honey being better than vinegar um okay crazy northern drink (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) vinegar and black yeah snake bite (laughs) But yeah, I mean, we've circled back to the original topic, haven't we? Yeah, I anger. feel the anger rising. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, any final comments on the risk side? Um, 
I don't know if I have to ask this, but do either of you have anything you'd wish to plug that you haven't already plugged? <laughs> Mark, is that for you? Um, all right, then. Sit down. Here we go. <laughs> Buckle up. Another 20 Buckle minutes up. of the podcast coming up. There we go. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I, I mentioned um, some of the Ministry of Testing things that we've got coming up. So um, I think by the time this comes out, Test Patch Leadership will have just finished. Um, but we have a bunch of other online events um, coming up throughout the year. Um, and for me, the big one is Test Bash World. Very excited about that. And that's coming out uh, very soon. We are running a big call for papers. Again, I, I think that this should be out whilst we're still finishing up uh, people submitting um, uh, any abstracts, any pay, uh, any talks, any ideas that you would like to give at Test Bash. Um, and then, yeah, we have Test Bash X in Brighton and Test Bash X in Edinburgh, of which Beth will be speaking at, um, coming up as well. They, they will be our first in-person events, small, low-key, but uh, we're very excited because they're going to be activity-driven rather than talks-driven. And then, obviously, we will have the one in Bucks in October as well, um, which will benefit from all the learnings <laughs> from... Uh, <laughs> from it be the best one. The, the yeah, I, I couldn't possibly say. Um <laughs> And then personally, yes, I have a book coming out um, spring sometime, testing web APIs with Manning uh, Publishing. Uh, you can actually purchase an early access copy of it and give me feedback and direction and tips and stuff to make changes to the book so you can actually collaborate with me. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in API testing and strategy, then... Uh... Beth, any plugs for you? No, absolutely not. I've done enough plug-in. I'm like a, a leaky bucket. <laughs> I feel like I stole your thunder there because, yeah, Test Bash X, and you'll be speaking. Yes, yeah. So Test test Bash X, I think they're going to hopefully announce it pretty shortly, end of April. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be talking at that. That's my one and only bit of um, kind of uh, community talking, public speaking this year. So... Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Get me to Edinburgh. Wow. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Cool. Well, thank you both for joining me. It's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Um, Absolutely. I feel like it's been a bit of a therapy session, which is never a bad thing. Yes. Um, yes. Do, you, do you feel calmer, Mark? I'd, well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and Simon. I'll, yeah. I'll skip assistant. my mindfulness session for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, again, thank you for thank you for joining me. And um play in the game and thank you everyone for listening if you wish to get in touch uh with the podcast it's at testfearpod on twitter um in the show notes there'll also be a link to the form to sign up to be a guest on future episodes um yeah so thank you very much for joining us thank you again for the guests and we'll speak to you again soon bye thank you for having me bye thank you to the guests and thank you for listening for more information on TestFear, check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the Ministry of Testing store. Music courtesy of zapsplat.com. We'll see you for more roulette again soon.